Okay, guys, we're in lesson 13. This is our last lesson. We've been looking at the basics of the Christian life. And I just want to, again, give you some foundational thoughts. If you have not grasped anything, I want you to grasp these five thoughts that I'm going to put up on the board for you. It's with reference to the Christian life. And, you know, even though we go over this, you will find, because of our training, what I mean by training, well, because of your experiences in church and in your Christian walk, you're going to default to another behavior. You're going to default to the exact opposite of what I'm showing you because whether you like it or not, we have been trained through time to think differently. So let me explain to you what I'm saying. So for instance, the Christian life is not a set of actions that must be completed. You have got to grasp that. You're acceptance with God is not based upon what you're doing. It's not based upon how much money you're sticking in an offering bait, how much, how much Bible you're reading in a day, how often you pray, whether or not you show up here. It's not based on that. All of those things are good, and we've talked about some of those things. In fact, we're going to talk about some of those today. But the reality is, is your acceptance with God is not based upon doing any of those things. Folks, what is our acceptance with God based upon? Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? The basis of our going to Him is not based on, on you and what you're doing. Okay, It's based upon Him. And see, I've been there. I remember, you know, after that year in between pastorates, when I, when I finished my pastorate in Canada and I came back to the United States and was looking for the next church before I came here, that was, to me, I, I called it the dark night of my soul. That was like a very, very hard time for me. Lori will tell you that. It was very hard in our marriage because I wasn't right. Because what, whether you like it or not, uh, ladies, you may not realize this, but men find their identity in what they do. Men find their identity in what they do. And if all of a sudden you're used to doing something and you're not allowed, you can't do it anymore, we don't know what to do with ourselves. You know what I'm saying? We, we enter into male depression, which is totally different than female depression. Okay? So when we talk about male depression, it's totally different. There's anger issues. You know, there's, there's a lot of different things. So, you know, it, it was the dark night of my soul, and it was like, God, I realized that I was finding my acceptance with God based upon my pastoring. And the reality was I had to come to a place where it was like, God, you accept me whether I pastor or not. Did you know what I mean? You know, and, and so, you know, we've got to get to the place where we recognize that my, the Christian life is not me doing these set things. It's not me doing those set things. So, okay, what is it? The Christian life is a relationship with the living God. The best way to sum it up as far as the Christian life is it's your relationship with Jesus. Now, for some of you, that maybe has never even entered into your mind until we started doing this study, but it really is your interaction with the living God of the universe. Period. That's what the Christian life is. And so... Really what we're talking about, so if I were to say to you, how's your, how's your Christian life going? What I really mean is, how's your relationship with God? 
See, that's, see, it's not, it's, it's two different questions. The one question is the wrong question. So how, how, how's your giving going? How, how's your church attendance doing? How's, how's your Bible reading? Wrong set of questions. The right set of question is, how's your relationship with God? That really describes the Christian life. Do you understand what I'm saying? How's your relationship with God? You know, in fact, uh, this was brought up on, on the journey. We were talking about, you know, what we've been talking about is in church. And, and I was reminded of something that we've taught in Sunday school here. You've got to come to the place where you recognize that the Christian relationship, the best way to illustrate the Christian relationship with God is a roller coaster. How many of you like roller coasters? I love roller coasters. The bigger, the better. The, the more intense the drop. How do you like the ones that you, when you're in the front and you go over and it's like, it's almost like straight down, but it isn't really. I mean, it just seems straight down. Whoosh! You know? Do you know what I'm saying? That's what the Christian life is because folks, you're not just going to be consistently going up, up, up in your relationship. There are ups and downs and the downs are when you fail. But you've got to pick yourself back up and go on. Because it's an up and down in a relationship. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's an up and down in the relationship. And, and you're going to have downs here. And so let's be all realistic about it, okay? You're going to have struggles. You're going to have failures. And, and here's the thing. God already knows it. God already knows it. How do I know that? Well, First John chapter 2. Verse 1, my little children, I write unto you that you sin not. So he's telling us, don't sin. But if you sin, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous, our propitiation for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. What's he saying there? But if you sin, he, what's your acknowledgement there? You're going to sin. You have somebody who is interceding on your behalf. So you've got to realize it's a relationship. All right? It's a relationship. Let's go on. It's a relationship from which we live out our salvation. So it's not just that I have a relationship. It's a relationship from which I live out the reality of the fact that he saved me and cleansed me and removed my guilt and shame. He made me new. So I live out of that. And again, it's up and down. And folks, let me tell you something. It's up and down until you go to be with Jesus. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because some of you maybe here have a holiness background if you've ever gone to church. Now, here's the thing about the holiness background, folks. Some of them can go to the extreme where they believe that you can reach perfection. I don't believe that. That's not in the Bible. The Apostle Paul very clearly talks about a struggle going on within him in Romans chapter 7. The good that I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Doesn't that sound like everyday life, folks? You know what I'm saying? That's the up and down. So the reality is, is that in this Christian life, I'm living out my relationship. I'm living out the salvation. It's going to be up and down. All you've got to do is look at David. Talk about up and down, right? But then you look and you look in 1 Kings, and what does it say about David when they describe him? God talks about him being what? A man after God's own heart. Isn't that awesome? That's how God sees it. So it's a all right, so let's go on. It is a process of sanctification where we become like Christ. 
It's the process of sanctification where you become like Jesus. See, this is where you gotta, where you become like Jesus. It's, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, you know, I want to hang out with Jesus because I want to be like Jesus. He's my mentor. Let's go on. Two areas reflect that relationship with Jesus. This is what we're going to talk about today. Fellowship and solitude. Two areas reflect that relationship with Jesus. Fellowship and solitude. And they're polar opposites. One is one... It's like talk about two different extremes. Fellowshipping and solitude. So let's talk about fellowship first. Here's the first thing I want you to understand when we talk about fellowship. We were not created to live our lives alone. God did not create you to be an island to yourself. Have you ever heard anybody say something like this? Maybe you've even said it. Usually it's out of frustration. Frustration in relationship. I don't need anybody. I just, I just, I don't need anybody. I can just, if I was by myself, things would be a whole lot better. How many of you have heard somebody say something like that? Usually, remember when they say it, usually it comes out of what? Anger and frustration. Probably because there's conflict or confrontation going on in a relationship and they don't want to work it out. Or they feel like it's impossible to work it out. Because the reality is, is that, here's reality. Every one of us here needs somebody else. Every one of us here needs somebody else. Period. It starts out that way from the cradle. Have you noticed that babies, oftentimes will scream and yell, not just because the diaper needs to be changed, not just because uh, they're hungry, but because they want to be what? Held. Now, the frustrating thing for a parent, I remember that, I'm glad that's over now, is you don't know which of the three they want. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, can you tell me food or, or tell me diaper, you know? You know, so the, the reality is, is that we, we're not created to be alone. None of us are. You're not an island to yourself. We were meant to fellowship with other believers. Especially if you're a Christian here. This is an important dynamic of your Christian walk. You were meant to interact with other believers, fellowship with other believers. Now, here's the problem. Fellowship is often equated with a function where food is served. And we're good at that doing those around here. You know, what? oftentimes when you hear somebody talk about fellowship, oh, there's going to be fellowship after the service. Usually that means... They're going to have food downstairs. I'm hungry. Let's go. And, and we'll talk about it. Boy, they know how to put on a fellowship at that church. Those ladies do a bang-up job over there. You know, do you know what I'm saying? We often equate it with food. And so we reduce the concept of fellowship down to a food function. Now, here's the thing. Food can be a component of fellowship. It's just a component. It's just one aspect of it. Now, we tend to, especially in our church, George, I tend to think of it as food. Okay? What kind of food is there? But it's just one component because there's a whole lot more to fellowship than just getting together and eating. Okay? There's a whole lot more to fellowship 
than just getting together and eating. In fact, here at the heart of fellowship is community. This is really what we're talking about. At the heart of fellowship is the issue of community. Interacting with each other. So here's what I want you to see. Here's what fellowship is. Fellowship refers to interaction within the family of God. Fellowship refers to interaction within the family of God. In fact, I think the best way to illustrate that, you'll see it in your paper there, is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is from you know, very first church, from Pentecost, right after those thousands came to the Lord. Here's what I want you to see what it says. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and prayers. And, they came up, and, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Okay, so from this we can see several components of what fellowship really is, okay? First of all, number one, fellowship is centered upon the study of God's Word. Fellowship is centered on the study of God's Word. So at the heart of fellowship, we make food the center of it. When we talk about fellowship in a church, we make food the center of it. Bring the fried chicken and watermelon, we're going to have a good time, okay? Excuse me, that's what a church in the South does, all right? Up here, it's bring the sauerkraut and pork, you know, and, you know, it's, so we, we center it on food, but reality is, is fellowship needs to be centered on God's Word, the study of God's Word. Here's another component. Prayer is vital to the fellowship. Talking to God as, as, as a part of church. Now, let me explain something to you. When we talk about prayer, I am not talking about sharing prayer requests. Because, can I be honest with you, the key is not the prayer requests being shared. In fact, can I be honest with you, Scripture doesn't say that having a multitude of people means that something's going to be answered. Do you understand what I'm saying? Scripture does not say simply making your need known and letting a multitude of people know about it so everybody can be praying does not mean it's going to be answered. How can you say that? Well, let's think about this. Remember in the Old Testament, the widow that Elijah stayed with, her son died. Remember that story in 1 Kings? What did Elijah do? Well, of course we know that he raised... He was raised from the dead after he prayed. But I want you to notice what he didn't do. When he went upstairs to the upper room where the boy was laying, who did he not take with him? He didn't take the widow with him. They didn't have a prayer meeting upstairs. He didn't even tell her to pray. What did he do? He went upstairs and prayed. Do you understand what I'm saying? He went upstairs and prayed. God answered his prayer. Now, there are other times where, where a corporate prayer is illustrated. But there's a lot of times when prayer is singular. It's not illustrated. What am I trying to say? We need to recognize that the issue is 
praying. Because here's what I found. Because I've done it. I'll share a prayer request. Because I want somebody to pray about it because I won't. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times it's a whole lot easier to say, Hey, Scott, how's it going? Oh, things aren't going really good at all, George. Well, what's happening? Oh, man, this is what's going on. And here's, what, here's the Christian thing to do. I'll pray for you, bro. Now, here's what I'll do. Hey, Bruce, how's it going, man? Oh, things are going good. Yeah, you hear about Scott? Man, you really need to pray for Scott. I don't pray for Scott. Now, I'm hoping Bruce will pray for Scott. But Bruce may not pray for Scott. Bruce goes and sees Danny. Hi, Danny, how's it going? Man, do you hear what's going on with Scott? And he maybe even adds to what's going on with Scott. He went to the county jail. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a term for it. It's called praying people in the back. Do you understand what I'm saying? Christian gossip. A key component is not sharing your prayer requests. It's praying. You know, and you're saying, well, you're being awfully harsh, George. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, but the person I'm being awfully harsh with is myself. Because I need to pray a lot more than I do. And have you noticed, I've been here ten years, I very rarely share prayer requests. Have you noticed that? I'm the pastor. I only share prayer requests as people give them to me. But you notice I don't share very many from my own self. Because I'm the one who needs to pray about those things. You know what I mean? I'm the one who has to wrestle with God about them. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm, I'm not, so I'm not trying, oh, he's going to keep us from sharing prayer. No, 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 no. You don't, don't misunderstand me. No, no. We, we do need to know and pray for people. But, are you praying? Are you praying? That's the issue. A important part is prayer. Prayer is vital to fellowship. Praying for each other. Now, here's the other thing. God's presence is sensed in fellowship. Where there's true fellowship, true community going on, God is there in the midst of the people. In fact, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus is writing to the church letter to the messenger of the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church at Ephesus. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. So that again, that's reference to the pastors, the messengers. He holds them in his right hand. But notice what he says there. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now we know from chapter 1 that the seven golden lampstands are the churches. So Jesus walks in the midst of the church. Folks, do you realize when we come together as a church, Jesus is right here with us. I can give you testimony after testimony of people who through the years have come to our church. I think of one couple in particular. And they told me that they were checking out churches, so they went to another church over near where they lived. And they said, we went to church and there was no problems whatsoever. And, 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 and it, was, it was boring. And they went home. 
The next week they decided to come here. And they said, everything broke loose on the way to church. We were growling at each other. Every little thing was irritating. It was like, maybe we should just turn around and go back home. I don't know if we should come here. And they pulled in. And they said, not, it was like, man, it's, this is the biggest mistake. We should just go home. Kids were fussing. They had little ones. Kids were fussing and everything. As soon as they opened the door and walked in the building, they said everything just left. It was like this weight of oppression just lifted right off of them. As soon as they walked in here. And they said, they just sensed that there was something different here. Now, if I had only heard one story like that, I would say, what did you guys eat the night before? But folks, I've heard that ten different times now. From people coming in, and they sense something here that's different. You know what I think that is? I think that's the Spirit of God. You know, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's God's presence here in the midst of His people. That's why they come back. It isn't because you look nice. You know, do you know what I'm saying? It, is, it isn't because we got good food here. It isn't because of the coffee. It's God's drawing, drawing them back. Do you, do you understand? That's fellowship. Fellowship is realizing that God is in your midst. God is in the midst. Now, here's the problem, though. Now, this is a scary thing, though. He could leave and we not be aware of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we're not in tune to him. He could leave and we not be aware of it. Oh, there would be signs. Because if we got so caught up in ourselves thinking, look at us, how good we are, and boy, things are going really good around here. You know, we forget the one who really is doing something. Because, you know what, it's, it's really been great for me as a pastor over the last two years to look and say, man, there's a lot of new faces in church. But I have to keep going, Lord, you're the one who's bringing them. Do you know what I'm saying? The reason why, if you're coming here and you feel like, man, this is where I need to be, is because God's doing something here. In whatever area, it's God. Let's give him the glory. You understand, part of the fellowship, in fact, go back to what Acts says there. Acts there in in chapter 2, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders were done through the apostles. God was in their midst doing things. Folks, God's in our midst. Recognize it. I mean, it's an awesome thing what's going on here in our church. Awesome. That's fellowship. Here, let's go on now. Giving was a part, a natural part of fellowship. They gave. Now, before you read this passage and you say, oh, this is Christian communism. No, 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 no. If, if you read what it says, people there who had something sold of what they had when they recognized that there was a need from somebody else. What does that mean? People were sensitive to what was going on in the lives of others around them, and so they gave. You know, folks, we've got some gifts down here. Last week I mentioned that we have somebody who's coming to our church. They're not going to be able to buy gifts for their kids this year. We need to do something. I had, I had to turn people away. 
I had to turn. I said, I'm sorry, I've got enough people now to get gifts. I had to turn people away. I had one fellow say, I don't really care what you're saying. I'm buying the gifts for, um, okay, we're not fighting. If you want to buy some gifts, go right ahead. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? That, that's called, that's fellowship. Where we, see, what has happened? I, I, I'm embarrassed by it and I'm a pastor. What has happened is, is that so often, and this is why people don't want to come to church, is that we have reduced giving down in the church to be how much you put in this plate for the church. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Man, have we robbed ourselves. You know, and, 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 and as a pastor, we, we're the ones who've, who've, who've propagated that lie. Giving is so much more than just giving in the offering plate of the church. Giving is you waking up around you and saying, they got a need, I think I can meet it. And it's not necessarily money. It's not necessarily money. It might be helping them out in some other way. But what we've done is we've reduced down fellowship, church, down to, I gave this week at the offering. And it's a whole lot more than that. A whole lot more than that. A lot more than that. True fellowship reaches out with the gospel. Here's the other thing. When you have true fellowship in a church, you're not going to be satisfied with your friends and your neighbors and your relatives who don't know Jesus not being here. Do you understand what I'm saying? You want them to be a part of the fellowship. You want them to be a part of the community. You want them to know the same Jesus and sense the same Jesus that you do in the fellowship. Do you understand what I'm saying? You want them to be a part of it. So it's going to reach out with the gospel. Now here's the key thing. Remember we've been talking for several weeks about the word of God, about evangelism, about giving, all those things. Remember we talked the, the prior 12 weeks have been talking about that. Here's what I want you to see. Fellowship is the atmosphere to live out the Christian life. Fellowship within the community of God's people is where you live out the Christian life. It's where you live out the relationship. Do you understand what I'm saying? All those other things, prayer, studying God's word, worshiping, all of those things, it all this is the atmosphere. Fellowship is the component of the Christian life where you live out those other areas. Isn't that awesome? But here's the problem. So many people say, I don't need to be there today. I was at George's house till eleven thirty. I'm tired this morning. I don't need to be there with those people. Well, that's because we view church as a service to attend rather than the people who we're there to fellowship with. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reality is is that fellowship is the atmosphere. In fact, Hebrews, look at your passage here, Hebrews 24 through 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Here, what's going on? Many believe that they can do without fellowship. I've heard people say that, I don't need to go to church. I can worship out in the woods in the deer stand. Yeah, you can. But your perspective of church is very small. You don't need to come here. 
You don't need to worship here. You don't need to listen to the music. You don't need to listen to the preaching. You don't need that. But if that's what your perspective is of what church is, you've, you've got a wrong perspective because church is so much more than those two components. Because, yeah, you can listen to the radio. You can watch some dude on TV. You can turn on the Christian radio station and, 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 and get goosebumps up and down because your favorite song comes on and, and feel like you're worshiping. Yeah, that that... That's the problem. The fact is, as many people feel that. But I would say to them, you know what? You've got a small perspective on church because church is so much more than that. Church is the community of believers coming together and being there for each other. Period. It's God's presence in the midst of His people, seeing wonderful things happening. Many they can do without fellowship. But here's the thing: fellowship is not an option, folks. You can't do without fellowship. If you're going to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you better get this fact down in your mind. You can't do without God's people. You can't. We need each other. Bottom line. That's fellowship. Let's talk about solitude now. It's the exact polar opposite. Because solitude means what? Anybody know what solitude is? Being alone. Well, because here's the reality. There also needs to be a time when you're alone. Here's what I want you to see. Time alone is just as important as time with others. There's got to be a balance in your life. Time alone is just as important with time as with others. And here's the thing. For most of us here, remember, you, 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 we've talked about the guy who speaks out of frustration. Well, I just don't want to be with anybody. I could work by, my, by myself, blah, blah, blah. You know, that, we've talked about that guy. But the reality is that most of us are not there. Most of us are people people. We like to be with other people. And we especially like to be with other people who like us. Do you know what I'm saying? Who enjoy being around us. I mean, I like football. Okay? I don't watch very much of it now since I've gotten married, but I love watching football. But I, I love watching a game. But I'm going to be honest with you. I really love watching a game with another group of guys. Do you know what I'm saying? Because there's just something about being with a group of guys who are enjoying a good football game. And the pizza and all the other food that you normally have in that uh, time uh, together, okay? We, we, we enjoy being with each other. Now, here's what. We're so oriented to being with other people. Have you noticed what you do when you're alone? Have you noticed what you do? I know what I do. I don't like quiet. So what do I do? Turn the radio on, put a CD on, put some, something in my ear to hear my MP3 player. You know, I, I've got, even downstairs... Even downstairs, I'm, I'm in the office, I'm studying. I don't, I, I, I've got some other, if you come in my office, Art will tell you because he comes in during the week. Chances are, i got some preacher on that I downloaded his sermon off of the internet. I'm listening to, because i got to get taught too. So I, I'm listening to somebody teach me. Why? I don't like being alone. I don't like quiet. 
But solitude has to be a part of your Christian life because it's just as important. Solitude is spending time with God alone. That's what solitude is. It's spending time with God alone. How many of you have ever tried to pray with, with the TV going on in the background, kids screaming and yelling, and your wife yelling at you for, to do something? How many of you, or a husband yelling at you to do something? How many of you tried praying at that time and could keep your mind on praying? If you have figured that out, talk to me. We'll write a book together. We'll make lots of money. Because that's not possible. You need to get alone. You need to get alone and talk with God. In fact, here's what I'm saying. Solitude means, means to get away from a world of distractions. It means to get away from a world of distractions. It means, you never notice that Jesus, he was with the multitude all the time? I mean, thousands were thronging to him. They were, they were wanting him to heal. They were wanting him to do this. He fed them. He taught them. But it always, the Bible talks about that he would always do what, folks? Usually in the morning or late at night. What would he do? Get alone. Did he take anybody with him? Eh, once in a while he maybe took somebody with him, but he usually would have them pray, and then he would go off by him what? By himself and pray. He would get alone with God. That's solitude. It's you getting alone, getting away from the world of distractions. In fact, look with me, Matthew 6, 6. Jesus said this, But you, when you pray, go to your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jesus is saying when you pray, you need to get alone. Why? God honors those who seek him privately. God honors those who seek him privately. You know, every once in a while I talk to somebody and we'll talk about prayer. And and this is a common thing I'll hear. Yeah, I, I pray and I talk to God, but I'm not into praying out in public stuff. And they usually say it kind of like as an apology. Here's what I would look at it as. That's great. That's biblical. Why? Because Jesus is the one who tells us not to pray openly so other men can look and say, Boy, he's a good prayer. Jesus is the one who says what? You pray privately and I will reward you. Isn't that awesome? Solitude is important. So we've got two different components. We've got the importance of being together in fellowship, but we also have what? The importance of you being alone talking with God. All right, let's close the time in prayer and we'll get ready for the morning worship service.